Yes, welcome to the third ordinary meeting. Yes, probably not. Third ordinary meeting of the Literary and Scientific Society. Thank you. Um, tonight, we'll start with business first. So, uh, the deadline for uh, first year rep is tonight. Uh, yeah. Um, we have received three nominations by my account of Rob's. Uh, you can still nominate yourself tonight. I'm interested. Um, if anyone wants to do that now or in the course of the, uh, wants to come up to me or Rob in the course of the evening, by all means. Uh, the interviews for that position will be uh, on Monday the 13th, which is next Monday at 5 o'clock. Uh, room to be seen, uh, but we'll put that up on, on the uh, event page. The deadline for nominations for the external convener position, uh, the election for which will be next Thursday, the deadline for that is next Monday, uh, the same day as the interviews, so the 13th of October. Um, and with that, we'll go straight on to private members' business. So this is part of the uh, night where anyone can put forward a sort of brief motion and an issue they'd like to see debated. They can ballot around the room, see what other people's opinions are, tear said opinions apart or not. Um, so if anyone has any private members' business they'd like to raise with me? <coughs> Anything at all? There's quite a lot going on. Mr. Finland? Uh, there is quite a lot going on. I have, I have this sort of through in my head. Um, I'd like to move that the House congratulates Mr. President on lasting a little bit longer than Diane James. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must confess, I don't even know who Diane James is. <laughs> 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 it's only like to clarify for me who Di Diane James is. <laughs> oh, right, yes. I should really know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's bad. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to an amendment that this house doesn't know who Diane James is. Seconded. Seconded. Anyone want to vote on the motion this house does not know who Diane James is? <laughs> so we can who knows Diane James? Yeah. Raise your hand if coming into the room tonight you knew who Diane James was. <laughs> Oh, division. We're, we're I'm, 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 I'm going to be honest, I really can't be bothered with counting, so let's go for like a sound. Like, I's versus nays. Okay. So, uh, anyone who knew who she was, say I. I. Uh, anyone who doesn't know who she is, who didn't know who she was, say nay. Nay. <laughs> I would like to ask the House whether they view a citizen of the world truly as a citizen of nowhere. <laughs> Ooh. 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 Would anyone like to answer that? This one too? Yeah, uh, Theresa May, belligerent words this week. <coughs> yes, sir. Oh, no, I just, my answer is yes. Oh, your answer is yes? We're going to tear into Theresa May there. <laughs> um, I, I, I would mind a pathetic and devil's advocate in defense of Chairman May. Person uh, May, I should say, um, in, her, in her slightly ill chosen words. What she said was. Um, if you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere, you don't know what citizenship means. Mm -hmm. And citizenship means the privileges that are accorded to you by being a citizen of a particular polity. If you claim to be a citizen of everywhere, that invalidates the concept of citizenship because there's no distinction between citizens and non-citizens. If every person is a citizen, there is no citizenship. Maybe that's what you advocate, maybe it's not, but that is the choice you're being faced with. 
Well, you're aware of much was supported that logical clarification, which under the fact this is made by uh, carrier pigeon as fast as will allow. <laughs> uh, any other private members' business before we move on to President's questions? No, in that case, one more. Oh, yeah, so you, what do you want? Uh, can I pass a motion that we were, wish Stephen Wolf a full and complete recovery <laughs> from his incident? Can we just check he's not dead? Yes. <laughs> a full and complete for your funeral. Depending on the outcome of said Googling. Um, oh, he's alive. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, yeah, still breathing. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's just harsh. I mean, I mean, it's just me and him. It was by his own friend. <laughs> yes, so uh, any particular wording you'd like to propose for uh, this speedy house, recovery? Is that the. This house would send a full bouquet of flowers to the bedside of Stephen Wolf. Would anyone like to second that motion and we'll go to a vote one? If we make Mexico pay for it. <laughs> would anyone like to second that amendment? <laughs> I would like to make a change to the motion. Uh, a, a curveball of sorts, but go on ahead. A full bouquet of white lilies. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Is that like a mafia thing? Or? <laughs> no. All in favour of sending white lilies to this, the bad side of the uh, UK. Do we have to do that? <laughs> do we have enough money for this? Do we have a possible A theoretical bouquet. I wonder if you're using it as your health insurance card. No. That's the question. Right. Either we vote well, well I, I don't even care about the motion anymore. <laughs> President's question. Does anyone have any questions for me? I am a font of knowledge. I will answer any questions for you. Yes, yes. Can I crack into whatever's on the table? By all means. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Do the honor. It's port. <laughs> <laughs> I should say that this is fine port. Uh, uh, so Miss Sophie Scrapple uh, broke Little our punch. golden rule uh, of uh, no gratuitous swearing uh, at a debate about six months ago, and kindly brought us the fine in the form of a bottle of port. Uh, Fort Edigan. So uh, please make merry on Burns Fair. And, uh, yes, on her point. So, yes, any, any questions for me other than that? Anyone at all? Stop, that's, that's a massive report. <laughs> this is going to be a good speech. Yes, Mr. Spratt. Well, I would like then to raise the certain point of controversy that has emerged surrounding said fines, whether those fines are meant to be continued to exist whether we did indeed pass a motion removing the necessity for this. Well, to clarify, we haven't actually, uh, there was some controversy about Fort Nettigo. Somebody swore in the debate and then challenged us uh, on the rule, uh, having said that we passed a formal uh, motion that we would no longer be finding people for port. Um, at no point in the minutes can we find any record of said vote, uh, which leads uh, Mr. Whitehurst and I to believe that it was debated in private members' business and was therefore purely conjecture, thankfully, which means our supply of port will continue on anymore, uh, thankfully. Uh, um, the rule as is right now, uh, just to provide some clarification, is swearing is not entirely off the cards. It is, you may swear if it is to emphasize a particular point, but if you are swearing gratuitously in the course of the speech to the extent that you are uh, what I would consider to be lowering the standards of the house 
and being so of ill repute and debauchery, uh, which we definitely are not, um, then I will consider you to be fine about the port. Uh, it's entirely discretionary, but that's basically because I want port. So, yes, uh, moving on. Any other questions for me before we move on to minutes of last week's debate? Yes, Mr. Newman. Just, just a question about uh, it changes the rules. Isn't it true that no sort of rule uh, that's voted in the House can undo a constitutional rule, which I think the uh, full language being the parliamentary debating style um, would be a constitutional rule of the House? Well, that's the point that we never actually had. We can't. We never, we, uh, we never had. You can propose an amendment to the constitution, but we never actually had that formal proposition. And uh, therefore, I think, the, I think therefore the said member is wrong. I think the port is a standing order, and you can suspend the standing order for the duration of. That meeting, but you can't, you can't bind the society to that suspension. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it requires full constitutional amending. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in conclusion, Craig Miller is wrong, which I, I, I never expected <laughs> to say. Um, so, moving on from President's questions, I'm really disappointed nobody asked me what I had for breakfast this morning because I actually had a full and wholesome breakfast. <laughs> Just for you guys. Did Mr. President prefix his breakfast by attending a champion reception this week? Um, I don't like what you're implying. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but just just for anyone who wants to know, I had bacon and eggs for breakfast. So yeah, um, I've been eating quite unhealthily for the past like fortnight, having like chicken sandwiches at like half four in the afternoon, which doesn't technically count as breakfast. So I thought I would, you know, make Price proud of uh, me by having a full wholesome breakfast. Um, uh, our internal convener tried to force feed the avocado, but I yes, avocado. Yes, so moving on to the minutes of the last debate, which was, I believe, this house would disaffiliate from NESESI. Uh, reading them is our, our secretary, Mr. Rob Whiters. <laughs> Good evening, one and all. The second ordinary meeting of the 168th session of the Literary and Scientific Society at Queen's University Belfast took place on the 29th of September and was attended by 42 members. Private members' business was heard from John McLean, who asked the House about Labour's unclear position on Trident, perhaps somewhat indicative of the current support for the Labour Party. No one in the House wished to comment. Technology officer Chris Bratt asked the House if debates should be fact-checked in light of recent presidential debates between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Harry Dare responded by saying that it could well mean placing a dangerous importance on the moderator of the debate, pointing to an example in the 2012 presidential debate, the chair attempted to fact-check Mick Romney on the spot and gave out misguided information. President Emeritus Tara Poyahia then concluded that a fact-checker wouldn't be necessary in the later effect, as by definition the council is already impartial and couldn't be seen to mediating either side. President's questions were heard from, Ms., uh, from Jessica Elder, who asked Mr. Murphy where he got his tie for the evening. He remarked that he got it from a website called Mrs. Bowtie, in an answer that surprised no one. And also from Harry Adair, who asked the President what he had for breakfast this morning. Mr. Murphy responded that he had a chip coat, in an answer that surprised no one. The President then asked the, evening, the motion for the evening, which was that this house would disaffiliate from NUS USI. Get used to hearing that acronym. Opening for the proposition was DUP councillor for Castlereagh South, Nathan Anderson. Mr. Anderson began by stating that he supported NUSUSI student movements in both Northern Ireland and the UK, but said that as soon as QUB secures adequate funding, we should seek to disaffiliate from NUSUSI as soon as possible. He acknowledged that NUS had made valuable contributions to student life, however, the president of the union is vital. When they're good, they're good, and when they're bad, they are bad. 
He said that a bad president reflects the student body poorly in both Parliament and Stormont, making it difficult for real change to take place through lobbying. He asserted that we should appoint more sabbatical officers rather than relying on a union with no democratic accountability and low student turnouts. He concluded by saying that NUSUSI in its current form is unreformable and it was time to make the break before it gets worse. Opening for opposition was Maiden Speaker Mr. Connor Daly. He opened by saying that the proposition argument was giving him Brexit deja vu with their what ifs and scaremongering. He listed everyone's favourite buzzwords synergy, a collaboration, political clout, and cohesion. Without NUS USI, we would have none of these vague and crucial things. <laughs> he claimed that outside the union, SUs would be left to put out their fires alone, leaving individual students potentially left behind by the lack of support. Mr. Daly reminded the House that during the Troubles, the NUS was the one constant, consistent voice for students in Northern Ireland, an ever-present voice in debates concerning tuition fees, EMA, zero-hours contracts, the gay blood ban, and bringing Northern Ireland in line with the rest of the UK in recognition of same-sex marriage. Close with the proposition was Mr. Harry Adair, who asserted that the opposition put on a great front, but in reality, the student movement under NUS-USI was failing, and we are desperately in need of an alternative. He claimed that the union policies suppress freedom of speech and the ability to negotiate. Initiatives such as safe spacing and no platforming were in opposition to the free exchange of ideas, so much so that Prime Minister Theresa May recently came out against them. He asserted that this was the first step to an Orwellian nightmare where students were forced to censor their own opinion and thoughts at the risk of having the wrong thought. He concluded by saying that the student body was losing interest in NUS as turnout was frequently below 20%, a sign that the union isn't discussing what students consider to be relevant issues. Concluding that opposition so the debate was main speaker and VP education, Mr. Oshin Hassan. He claimed that the debate thus far had been abound with sweeping statements and confusion as to exactly what NUS-USI was. He began by stating that NUS-USI was ahead of the Good Friday Agreement by 20 years, and that while there may be problems, they still held a crucial role in student society. <coughs> He opened by stating the membership of the union costs QUBSU £52,000 per year, but claimed that this money goes towards bringing in hundreds of full-time staff and having a president based in Belfast who can be consulted and reporting to, and reported to, on any related issues. He concluded by saying that if he had his way, then there would be more sabbatical officers who would have more time to lobby on a national level in Stormont, while saying that the only way this would come about is by remaining part of NUSUSI and reforming. Questions are heard from Robert Clark, Connor Ardell, John McLeanan, Rachel Ireland, whose question for Nathan Anderson was so spicy it gave him cause to remove his jacket, <laughs> Peter Beck and Brian Neal. A vote based on personal opinion of the House was taken, which read 7 ayes, 14 nays, and 20 abstentions. Meanwhile, a casting vote based on speaker's performance on the motion, this House would disaffiliate from NUSUSI, was taken, which read 2 ayes, 22 nays, and 11 abstentions. May I take the minutes as read? Aye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Whitehurst. And now on to the debate of the evening. Uh, this house would be classified transgenderism as uh, psychological disorder. Now, I realise that uh, this debate, the, the motion is quite contentious, and I just wanted to say a few words beforehand uh, just to sort of disarm some of the, the fractiousness that might be caused tonight. This is not a debate about getting up in people's faces about identity or anything of the sort. It's not about saying that uh, one thing or the, or the other about the, the nature of identity and psychological disorder. It's, it's really about the term psychological disorder itself, the cl that classification and the utility that uh, holds for uh, transgender people and what the connotations are of that classification. It is purely uh, a, a debate on the utility and I, I, I do hope that 
um, our speakers understand that that this chamber is all about respect for the, for the person sitting opposite you. So I, I do hope that people, nobody came here tonight uh, thinking that this would be a very fractious, very in-your-face in debate. Uh, that's not the sort of debate we encourage. We, we encourage a, 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 a culture of uh, inclusiveness and uh, diversity. Um, yeah, so um, saying that, I will move on to the rules just so everyone's just sort of clear as to what we, uh, how our speeches run. Uh, all of our speakers now have seven minutes to speak. Um, the first minute of their speech is protected time, which means that the uh, opposing side can't field any points of information to then uh, point out something uh, in their debate that they have issue with. Uh, they can't ask questions of them either. Uh, the next five minutes of your, your speech after that are completely open to the floor. Members of the audience, the opposing team, can stand up and say on that point and challenge you uh, to clarify your point and uh, challenge you on whatever point you made. Uh, you can choose to uh, take the point and address it then and there. Um, if they're speaking too long, I'll tell them to sort of sum up their point. Uh, you don't have to take the point, but if uh, if you don't take the point, just say, no, thank you, sir. Uh, you can defer from it for a moment, finish the point you're making, and then <coughs> take it slightly later so it doesn't interrupt the flow of your speech. Um, I'll ring the bell again at the sixth minute, just to say that show that the protected time is now in place again. And for the last minute of your, your speech, uh, you can speak completely on uh, um, I'll ring the bell again at the seventh minute just to tell you to wrap up, and then at seven minutes thirty just to say hurry up your sort of overtime. Uh, so with that, if anyone has any questions about the rules of the motion, yes, one. Not rules of the motion, but like yes. Sorry, I meant yes. to say if you have any questions or concerns about the motion tonight, uh, by all means direct them towards uh, the president of the LGBT Society, which is over here. Yes. Um, hi, my name's Pauline. As um, Ben has said, I'm president of LGBT. Um, myself and committee member Sam over there. Say hi. Yeah. We will be hanging um, at the debate outside. If anyone wants to voice any concerns, debate or otherwise, feel free to talk to us. Cool. All right. Thank you very much. And <coughs> um, with that, we'll start with the debate. Um, the first speaker for the proposition is Miss Rachel Arms. Well, welcome her to the floor. proposition on transgender issues while not being transgender myself if at any point I um, mince my words or use any incorrect language that you find offensive or anything please just kind of give me a nudge or a wave or point of information and I will retract everything that needs to be retracted um, but yeah uh, on that point I am not going to completely ignore what Ben said but I am going to talk a little bit about definitions of transgender mental disorder and gender and identity just a little bit, nothing too personal. Um, so I wanted, one of the main things I wanted to get from tonight was to make sure that my language is as clear as possible. So I, uh, I looked up some definitions, as I often do as an English student. So the first one I looked up was gender, which according to Farlex Medical Partner Dictionary is a category to which one is assigned by the self or others, which is where identity comes in. Gender is something that it's a category that we use because it's easier to have these little sections and boxes. Um, labels are very helpful. Um, I don't have dance labels. It's, very, it's easier to have a name for yourself and for other people like you or different from you. Um, that's just how labeling works. Transgender um, comes from, and you're all about, sorry to anyone who did Latin at school, trans comes from the Latin, it's a prefix for 
so transgender, across gender, from the American Heritage Medical Dictionary is identifying as or having undergone medical treatment to become a member of the opposite sex. In my mind, this does not imply that biological um, medical treatment is necessary. It is an identity, and it is identifying with um, the same ca characteristics as a member of the opposite sex. Mental illness or mental disorder, as it was, again, according to Farlex Partner Medical Dictionary, uh, is a broadly inclusive term generally denoting one or more of the following. A disease of the brain with behavioral symptoms, such as uh, paresis or acute alcoholism, or a disease of the mind. And this is where I'm going to drop my first distinction. Um, uh, a disease of the mind or personality, such as schizophrenia. Although they are synonyms, the brain and the mind can be seen as two different things. Um, the brain is purely neurological. It is the neurons that are firing messages from your brain to the rest of your body, whereas the mind is typically more philosophical and social and personality related. So there's a lot of kind of, there is already, uh, yeah? Yeah, um, I'd like to say that uh, it, it is a tenet of, of uh, psychology that everything psychological mm -hmm. is biological, so there absolutely is a very close link. Just yes, no, absolutely. There's a very close link, but I think it's important to denote them as separate things, particularly when we're talking about societal issues as well. Um, despite how closely linked in the crossover that there is, I don't think it's fair to suggest that they are the same thing when, you know, these are often societal issues as well, and I think it's important to denote societal distinctions. So with them being separate yet related things, um, Transgender is an identity that is decided by it's decided by the individual. Um, and um, sorry, leave me please. Um, yes, it's decided by the individual, and mental illness is not. Um, I don't think my main argument that is it is harmful and unfair to link these two categories. Um, and the uh, Journal for Quality of Life Research uh, by Emily Newfield, Stacey Howard, Suzanne Dibble and Laurie Kohler states, we do not believe uh, FTM, female to male, transgender, to be indicative of a psych psychopathology or disease state. So I think the research is there to back up my point that they are separate things. And to compare the very real experience of someone's identity across gender, which is such a broad and fluid spectrum, to mental illness harms everybody involved in the conversation. Um, it tells the trans individual that what you that what they are experiencing is something uh, to be changed and corrected um, instead of um, celebrated as a form of expression, which it is. It further stigmatizes everybody involved in the conversation um, because it wrongly categorizes everyone that is involved as other and different, um, and as a problem to be solved rather than. Uh, Rather than worked with, um, it suggests that they must be worked worked against um, in a way. Uh, it further promotes cultural narratives of binary genders, whether it's one or the other, instead of recognising fluidity and um, and the change that we all kind of go through in varying degrees um, for our lives. Um, and I think that it is uh, important that these two categories, similar though they are, are kept separate um, and that they are respected for what they are in their own right. Um, I think uh, we must better equip ourselves 
um, when talking about both of these terms. As you can hear, I'm getting faster and short, short of breath and losing confidence because I don't feel confident talking about these issues um, because in a certain place, not being a trans speaker, I don't feel that this is essentially my place to be a main speaker. Um, so as I was, I was saying earlier that this is one way for me to learn more about these issues and to learn more about the differences and nuances that there are involved uh, in everything. Um, I think it's important to ask respectful questions of those who you may know who have uh, psychological disorders or maybe trans. Um, respectful being main word. Um, it is important that we do our research and we listen to those who need our help and act according to what they are experiencing. Um, um, can I ask how much time I have? Uh, you have precisely one minute. Um, yeah, that's it. If there are... Oh, I can't take questions I'll now. Just literally just a... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And we now welcome to the floor the uh, first speaker for the opposition, to Ryan. Today, I'm just back from work, so I haven't had a lot of time to prepare, so I'm not as formally attired as I probably should be today. So, moving aside, um, to tackle the argument, um, it was pretty much what I expect from the proposition. It was taking a very sort of societal look at um, the emotion, at the term of disorder, and all the rest of it. Um, there were some good arguments made there, and some I actually agree with. Uh, the point is, though, is that a lot of it was irrelevant. And I'm going to explain why. Um, this is not a matter of society, whether something's natural or unnatural, whether it's moral or immoral. It has nothing to do with that. This is an issue of declassifying a psychological disorder. This is a debate that is clinical. This is a medical debate uh, in the meaning and definition of the disorder in itself. Okay? So, what is a disorder? Well, I'm going to give you a cliff notes version of this, uh, if you don't mind, because it's quite long-winded. But uh, it's a significant clinical disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotional regulation, or behaviour that reflects a dysfunction in psychological, biological, or developmental processes underlying mental functioning. And that is the key word right there, functioning, your ability to function. Um, that's the important aspect here. Now, is transgenderism uh, should be classified as a mental disorder? Well, it can't, because it's not. <laughs> transgenderism, not to upend the whole debate here, but transgenderism is not uh, a diagnostic uh, disorder for a psychological disorder, it's not. It may have been maybe in the DSM-3, 4, or DR, but in the current iteration of the DSM-5, uh, no, it's not. Um, in fact, it stipulates that uh, non-conformist gender, or gender non-conformity, is not a disorder. Um, what is, however, is gender dysphoria, right? And that's a very specific thing. Dysphoria, of course, being distress. So this is distress at um, the confliction of incongruity of the physical sex and gender um, and the perceived uh, uh, sex or gender. Uh, it's that incongruity and the distress that you get from that that constitutes this disorder. Okay, and I think that's a serious issue, and I think that's very profound, actually, uh, and shouldn't be written off. Um, yeah, no, it was just to kind of back up that do you not think that issues of gender are primarily societal rather than clinical? Uh, I'm actually going to develop my point a bit more so maybe that would actually um, help you out there. So, um, in terms of meeting the criteria for that disorder, okay, you have already 
demonstrated that this is getting in the way of your ability to function. Right? Um, it, it's quite emotive in the sense that you know it's 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 a terrible thing not to love yourself and not to you know be comfortable in your own skin and feel like you're foreign in your own body and it, it is a serious thing. Um, but I, I think honestly, you're being very short-sighted and you're being uh, very reckless in trying to say, well, no, we should declassify it uh, as a disorder. Um, because it's that diagnostic tool that acts as a framework for how we actually approach and support people who are transgender, who are having these difficulties and this disorder. Um, if we were to suddenly say, okay, well, it's perfectly normal, it, it is to drastically undermine the difficulties that they face, uh, which aren't normal. And if I can... Um, actually, if I can frame this in a different way, let's look at another disorder, right? So, um, autism spectrum disorder, right? Uh, when you get diagnosed with this disorder, uh, it's not saying that you are less, that you are weak, that you are wrong, that you are something that's you know, invalid. That's not the point. It's saying that you have, or you in your current condition, you will face difficulties, and you are having difficulties. And it's about approaching these difficulties, giving you the appropriate support, so that you can reach a conclusion that you find satisfactory. Right? So a satisfactory conclusion in a sense of whether that would be a reconciliation with your physical gender, or all the way over to um, transition surgery, gender reassignment, um, or anywhere in between. That's what this is about. That's what this uh, diagnostic tool is about. It's providing a framework for care, and if you destroy that, if you get rid of that, declassify that, what are you replacing it with? You know what I mean? If you don't have the medical basis to back that up, if you don't have that diagnostic tool there, it will not be funded. Those vital services will not be funded. And transgender people will not have those services. They'll not have that guidance. They'll not have that support that gets them to look at these issues that they may be having or this uh, distress they're having with their condition and, and come to you know, a real positive resolution. You know, and it is really important work. And I was talking to a colleague of mine, uh, Una Doherty. Um, she's uh, a member of Victim Support. Um, we deal with all sorts of things. You know, PNS and I girls come in, uh, victims of assault and you know, uh, abuse and robbery, burglary, all sorts of horrible things. But she deals very closely with the LGBT community. And uh, I actually talked with this motion through with her. And uh, she said, yeah, it would be very damaging to our services if that were to be classified, because that is our justification. That is what we use. We go, okay, this is the medical definition, diagnostic tool, that this person has met the framework criteria for, in which case then we can now give them the appropriate support. On that yes. Um, there's, no, in, there's no requirement for medical diagnosis for any legal process in the UK, apart from legal recognition, and the police services of Northern Ireland do not use that as a basis for support. No, please don't. No, uh, we're talking. We have to consider that though when we're going to a person who is transgender or whatever else. Um, but uh, generally speaking, I was just talking about uh, her uh, experience in the field when she's dealt with with people and uh, discussing that with them. I'm talking a bit more going through. Okay, you're having serious issues and difficulties. You're transgender, and um, I'm, this is causing a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Um, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin, and it's getting them through a diagnostic procedure process, and then comes that conclusion. You know, getting into that satisfactory conclusion. So, yeah, it, honestly, when I look at this, I, I just I see good intentions. I really do. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think it is recklessness and short-sightedness, obfuscated by good intentions. I think we need to view this as the useful tool and uh, framework that it is. Um, and on that note, I will end my speech. Thank you very much.
obviously including non-binary as well. There was a very famous case that was done not too long ago, about 2004, though it was run from 1965 onward. It was about David Reimer. I don't know if you've actually heard of him. It was a boy that was actually botched circumcision, which had caused castration, though they had no idea what to do, so they continued to raise David as a girl. Though David had always identified as male, even though he was told he was female. So which brings me to the next point, that FTM and MTF, transgender people, in both cases, that typical brain patterns of their preferred gender is actually present within the brain. Though these can be quite far-fetched between people, especially those of the gender non-binary, though it also links in with female to males, also often it's the word I'm looking for, experiencing phantom limb syndrome with, you know, different body parts that aren't there, which can be experienced in male to female as well which all links in with the brain, what the brain thinks the brain will do. But we cannot confuse neurological with psychological, even though them two are quite closely intertwined with each other. Though mental health issues are explained as the diseased mind, expanding on from Mitchell's point. And obviously, Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, when it comes to mental disorders, it's, it's not like mental illness, there's a distinction being made here with personality, psychological disorders. It's not something to necessarily cure. It's not something necessary that is a bad thing. You know, that's the point I hope I got across in saying that it's not a judgment. Um, what it is about is saying that, yes, you have a series of uh, difficulties that you're having right now. This is the diagnosis for and going through to try to find a solution using diagnostic tool. Which can make some transgender people feel trapped. That it's a specific diagnosis. It's currently called gender identity disorder. It's making them feel that there is something wrong with them when, there, when there's nothing wrong with them. But being transgender in general, there's nothing wrong. But gender dysphoria is the discomfort of being in the body you obviously don't feel comfortable in. Obviously, when you identify as what you do neurologically in your mind, which also brings me along to, sorry, yep, as well as hormones and binding genes. It also goes near enough genes. Both MTF and FTM have variation of <coughs> binding genes and more commonly found in FTM, they are lacking female-only distribution patterns. Which, yeah, yeah um, I believe we're in absolute agreement. In fact, there is evidence that uh, hormonal uh, 
the hormones that you're actually uh, experiencing in the womb can actually affect. But there is evidence to show that. Um, There's evidence also in. But I, I, my, my, my issue. You finish off the point. My issue with this is that it, it doesn't seem to uh, justify um, getting rid of the psychological disorder diagnosis. Absolutely, since it is set in stone that if you take away such support networks, nothing's going to really come out of it. But it's making that person feel that they are worth the time, which some really don't feel like it when they're labelled with a mental health condition or disorder. It makes them feel that they're sick, if you get what I'm kind of... That's really all I have. No, it's the problem. Yeah. Finish up then? Yep. Finish up there and answer any questions. If, if there are any questions you want to take, by all means. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot of what you said there is the reality of it. It is the, it is the reality of transgenderism. But, you know, the diagnostic <coughs> is what we use to deal with that. And it's what we use to justify the funding for the services that those people use. Um, these are very passionate people. You know, these aren't people who are cold, calculated, sort of purely analytical psychologists. You know, they are people who engage with the individual and work with the individual to find you know, a solution that's satisfactory. Absolutely, I don't disagree with you there. Though some people do feel like they're being pigeonholed for who they are. Yep. How would you ensure the same level of care and support is given Pardon? How would you ensure that the same level of care and support that is available to you because it's um, classified in this way is given if it's not? Generally speaking, that, well, you do make a really good point there, but at the same time, giving someone a label can make them feel like there is a way out of it. Though there is no specific cure for gender dysphoria, apart from, you know, cross-hormone treatment, social, social transition. It's helping the person transition socially by helping them integrate in society as their preferred gender, per se. So that's really all I have to say. And now we move on to the last speaker of the evening, and then we'll have summary points, uh, summary speeches from both sides. Uh, moving on to the last speaker of the evening, Mr. Uh, John Fiddler. I can make it to the lectern. I can consider my job to be done. Hope we don't matter. Um, well, thank you, Paul, for that uh, stimulating and respectful debate. Um, I, I would like to reiterate first Rob's concerns about being a, a cis person talking about this this um, this motion. Um, but to be perfectly honest, you know, in the past I've been I've been a man talking uh, on a panel with other men about women's issues, and I, I keep meaning every every week to bring up a private member's business, a motion that the society needs to see more women speakers on panels on a more regular basis, and I keep forgetting. So I've used, I've remembered it there, and I'll use my opportunity to plug it there. And also because I don't, by any means, have enough material to fill up seven minutes. So I'm, I'm 
really fishing around. Um, Ryan has set out why we believe gender dysphoria is clinically to be considered a disorder and why we should not declassify it. I will argue further that classifying it as such is no bad thing because we have heard some things from previous speakers which sounded okay but their implications are actually a little bit troubling. The first prop, Rachel said, I believe at some point she, she was making a distinction between uh, the brain and the mind, and she said that gender identity is decided by the individual. Now, second prop said, effectively implied pretty heavily, that one's preferred gender identity is actually inherent in the brain, and that even if you are raised one way or another, then you, but you will always have an innate identity. So I think Another there's something to be clarified there. Please go ahead. Yeah, just a clarification. Um, okay, that was my that was me mincing my words. Um, I don't think I explained. I don't think I used identity in the right word there. So if it can be uh, see changed to uh, expression of an identity, mm -hmm. um, that would clarify my point. But I know that obviously at the time I hadn't said that. And it wasn't no, no, sure. I, 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 I don't want. I don't want to be. Pulling you up on, no. on, on technicalities, um, but I, I do think this 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 question about identity versus feeling, this question of who you feel like you want to be versus how you feel about who you are, is a distinction that does need to be made, or at least how you feel about what everyone perceives you as being. Um, you you also said that to to classify someone as, to classify gender dysphoria as a psychological disorder would be suggesting to them that they have to be changed. And the second prop um, also made some comments along the lines of, I've lost the actual one, but along the lines of, basically it, it, would, be, it would be a stock in the face to, to transgender people to, to say that gender dysphoria is a psychological disorder. That, that would be in some way belittling them. That that would be in some way telling them that they are wrong. That they should not be the way they are. And what I want to ask about that is, what does that say about our attitude towards psychological disorders? That if you're experiencing a psychological disorder, then that means everyone will and will rightly regard you as being disordered. As being something that needs to be fixed. No, no. We are not saying that we want gender dysphoria to continue to be classified as a psychological disorder, and also we want to stigmatize psychological disorders and belittle people because of it. And ask yourself why you think it would be offensive, why you think it would be a bad thing, why you think it would be telling them, and this was the word you used second prop, that they are not worth the time. Are we telling people who have psychological disorders that they're not worth the time? Is that the assumption we are proceeding under? Think about the message that that will send to people who do suffer psychological disorders. Other psychological disorders, other than gender dysphoria. Think about the message that will send from this house tonight, if that is the way you vote. No, we don't recognize this as a disorder. It is not worthy 
of psychological attention. It's just who you are, and you have to accommodate yourself to it. How progressive is that? To reduce the number of people who are considered to be deserving of and in need of psychological help. Now, it's, obviously I can stand up here and say, it's not very progressive to reduce the number of people classified as having a psychological disorder. And you can come back and say, well, we used to think that homosexuality was a, was a mental illness. We used to think that having a non-cis uh, gender identity was a mental illness. So it's no bad thing to further circumscribe the bounds. But no, it isn't like saying that. It's not like saying that because we are not talking about something that is a matter entirely for yourself, which is your sexual orientation or your gender identity, whether it's innate, whether you're born with it, or whether it's a thing that's environmental and you decide as you mature and find yourself, that's immaterial to this debate. The point is, it's a matter for you. If you're comfortable with it, if you're comfortable being a man who's attracted to men and has relationships with men, if you're comfortable being a male who feels like a woman and wants to identify as a woman, that is fine, that's entirely for you. We are talking about people who experience gender dysphoria, the people who feel distress, the people who feel that there is something wrong with them. And you want to take the opportunity for confidential, professional, psychological support away from them? As Ryan said, that would be an example of gross recklessness. You would not be scoring a victory for the trans movement. You would be setting it back by denying psychological, clinical support to its most vulnerable members. And if you reduce the number of people with psychological disorders, that will inevitably further marginalize it and further stigmatize it. I implore you to oppose the motion. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Finley. Uh, so what we're going to do now is we're going to take uh, three rounds of questions, uh, three of the proposition, three of sort of like standing on the motion, if you want to get up and make a point generally on the motion, and then three of the opposition. Um, the, each side will then have uh, a two-minute two window in which to sort of make a summary speech as to uh, just sort of uh, summarise their case and explain to you why you, you, uh, they believe they're in favour of your vote in as succinct a manner as possible. Um, we'll then take a vote on the motion. Um, and so, uh, without further ado, will, does anyone have a question for the proposition tonight? If I, I could ask you to stand up, Stephen, and address it to whichever side. So, anyone for the proposition? Anyone all? No? Yes, Jesus. Um, I'm wondering if there's a mistake in the type of the debate because it's saying to declassify transgenderism, but you're saying it's not currently classified, so then there's a mistake in the title of the debate? That's sort of an upset point. Apologies. Um, does anyone want to take that from either side? Uh, what, as to what do you agree with that fault? Uh, I'd love to take it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Absolutely right. Uh, and I think I was definitely an overlook in the title. And I'll definitely give someone a piece of it. Generally speaking, yeah, I mean, it can't be denied. It's a fact. You know, it's not. Uh, in the DSM-5, as I've said, those stipulate quite clearly that gender nonconformity does not constitute a disorder. The distress at this uh, nonconformity is the disorder being the dysphoria, which means distress. Yes, by all means. Transgenderism in itself isn't a disorder. 
but what the, the distress that can come with being transgender, gender dysphoria is the condition of what needs the attention rather than transgender as a whole and obviously the non-binaries as well but who may also experience gender dysphoria too. Yes, I think there's a member of what the audience wants to respond to. Okay, we've probably heard from that point. Um, you're making this argument saying that we need to have support on the basis of transgenderism being a psychological disorder, when actually the problem is a psychological distress. And the distress is partly caused by society calling them mad or they've got a psychological issue. So maybe if we stop stigmatising and society starts to be more accepting, we can still provide the support. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Um, well, no, I mean, it, I hope I was clear on that. Uh, it's about the actual definition of what a disorder is. Um, in fact, I can read about verbatim, and this is actually psychology today. Um, yeah, a syndrome characterized by clinically significant disturbance in an ind individual's cognition, emotion, regulation, or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological, or developmental processes underlying mental function. Sounds like a lot of jargon, right? But the Clifton's version is more along the lines of function, right? So if it is caused distress to the point where the you know, incongruity between your physical sex and your perceived sex causes uh, self-loathing, which can lead to comorbid conditions such as depression and most tragically suicide or anything along those lines, you know, then it is very much a disorder. Um, that, that is the definition of a disorder and gender dysphoria meets that definition because of those underlying factors. So that suggests it's a clinical condition. Mm -hmm. So that suggests it can be treated. It can be helped. Um, actually, are we allowed back and forth? Uh, not clearly about that. I just thought it would help for you to clarify the point of it. Okay. okay. Um, if I can get you to repeat. For um, <laughs> you. Can I, can, I, can I get you to repeat that last portion, please, um, of what you said? It's both clinical can be treated, yeah? Yeah, so if it's, if it's clinical, can it be treated? Um, and does that suggest it should be treated? Um, can, should, those are two different words. Um, saying something is curable or not is not the, the, the um, point of uh, disorder, right? I mean, as I say, you cure, cure autism spectrum disorder because it's something that can be treated. No, that, that's not how it works at all. It is something that is part of you. It is something that is inherent. You, know, you don't just cure that. You know, and it's very arrogant, or maybe you might want to assume so. And of course, I'm not saying that's the case, but um, merely making the point. Um, it's, it's about um, giving that person the tools so that they can help accept themselves and to function better in wider society. You know, and, and in terms of transgenderism, you know, the one of the worst things that can happen is, if, as I said in my speech, was just you know feeling like an alien in your own body. Generally, from what I've seen, the sources and stuff from transgender <coughs> people made these points. Um, just it's not loving themselves, you know what I mean? And I think that's a really sad thing. Um, I don't think we need a cure, but I think help giving them tools to accept them, maybe even giving them support towards something that they find to be the best solution. So for instance, if that's gender reassignment, or perhaps even just reconciling with the gender Because <coughs> I said this in my speech. I mean, I'm just repeating myself here, but yeah, that, that's the point. It's not about curing, it's not about fixing the person, it's about helping them solve the problem. Very famous, really. <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, would anyone like to address any questions to the opposition? No. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> 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 yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, yes, sorry, apologies. Um, yeah, I think the wording, the wording of this whole thing has obviously been very, very difficult, and um, but I do think it's important to note that while uh, no, I don't think anyone is in any way suggesting that the services that are in place are these kind of big, scary institutions that are determined to trample these things out and treat them in a very Victorian manner. I think it is a little misguided and idealistic to, to completely disassociate um, trans issues from societal issues because I get because the two are so closely linked. I um, think it's very it's a very good view, but it's a very idealistic view to suggest that these. That the stereotypes are and the prejudices are prejudices are not there. Right, thank you for that. And any questions for the opposition? Like, uh, I'll try and take some of you. Yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, like, um, when whenever you're uh, the, the the classifying uh, gender dysphoria um, as no longer as a psychological um, thing, uh, like. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to give any support at all to people who are transgender and, have, and, and, and are feeling confused because there are associations out there like Rainbow Project and Gender Jam which are very much uh, <coughs> setting up like an inform, informal environment for uh, people who, who are transgender or non-binary or intersex. And it's, and it's really just uh, it's just an informal setting. We'll obviously give them the opportunity to befriend and meet other people like them so that they know that they're not alone in these situations and that what they're feeling is completely normal. Um, uh, but at the, at the end, and, they don't, and they won't have to face the, the ideas that, that there is something wrong with them like they would if it was a disorder, if they, if they thought of it was a disorder or uh, because it yeah, just reinforces them. That, that is more so the the, the social uh, the, the social side of things that, that, that make them feel the um, like the mental illness part part of things. So yeah, just they just they, they can't get support for more in a more informal environment. I feel is more suitable. Hey Sal. Um, okay, um, you're absolutely right in terms of the informal support system we have. That's happening. Um, and those charities uh, that you're talking about, yeah, I mean, they are charities that get funded. But uh, for instance, like charities, uh, Victim Support is a charity, uh, though it works very closely um, with uh, the public sector. In fact, it is the public sector. And you'll find a lot of these charities get government funding. And without that government funding, they will be absolutely dropped. Uh, and they will be nowhere near capable of um, you know, providing the services. They're already under strain in the Conservative government. Um, they already are underfunded and relying very heavily on volunteers, um, specifically even in transgender issues. Um, I think I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember your first point, because it was quite a long question. Uh, yeah, sorry. Was, um, um, yeah, just... Uh, Yes. Uh, I think I remember before you yeah, actually. Um, it was about the availability of services, and yeah, that's what led on to the Okay, well, I mean, that's in itself, but it just answered there, sort of just proves that point. But um, the crux here is the government funding, right? If there's no uh, class, if there's no classification, if there's no medically backed clinical disorder, then it cannot apply for government funding. It can't be funded. It's as simple as that. There's no backing for it, and the government won't fund it. 
And if you think the Conservative government is all of a sudden going to go, oh, you know what, we'll give them money anyway. You know, if you expect that, uh, you'll be paying attention. But, uh, you know, not to be arguing I'm sorry. But generally speaking, yeah, it would, call it, it would have devastating consequences it's for the trans community if the services were to take take away and take <coughs> away without the medical diagnosis. Anyone that, if the proposition would like to respond? Anyone else? Just to respond with how sparse the services are already, even. Currently, there is only one specific regional clinic for people under 18 called Knowing Our Identity or Yannicka Coy, and the Over 18 clinic, which offer surgery and cross hormones. I'm not sure, Coy, do you, but I'll look more into that. From experience dealing with Coy, it's a very valuable service. A lot of people have taken advantage of it in the past, which have led them to... They're very sparsely populated at the minute. They're staffed. They're very understaffed, which is very unfortunate, as well as the Brackenburg Clinic. The waiting lists are extremely long. And as your point said, the loss, if they were to go, it would be devastating for the transgender community in general. Thank you for that. And if anyone has any sort of neutral points, abstaining points on the motion, uh, yourself. I expect prices to be neutral, yeah. Just taking decks of both sides. Uh, yeah, it's so congratulations. My name is Ellen Murray. I, I work in the community volunteer sector and supporting trans people. I thought that both sides were quite lacking in, in terms of the, the detail um, and actually quite a lot of the facts. Um, I thought it was very, uh, very hopeful but quite naive to suggest that trans sector gets any government funding. Um, the government funding um, is, uh, in terms of community involvement sector, is reliant on um, statute and, and anti-discrimination laws, posted diagnosis, which already exists in the UK and Irish law. Um, healthcare service funding in Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK is not necessarily, in all cases, based on diagnosis. And certainly in the gender identity service framework, it's not based. Um, both sides uh, quoted the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which would be great if we were in America, but we're not. We use the ICD here, and we use transsexualism, which is in gender identity disorder um, of adolescence and childhood. Um, I suppose both sides, I thought, were quite weak because there are such good arguments against declassification on access to specific care within insurance systems and with, um, within accommodations of work and everything, which have, like, those are really good um, arguments. On the proposition side, I think you could have argued like, some really strong ideas about clinical thresholds because the people I support, loads of them can't get any care because of the, the diagnosis and because of that, because they can't meet the threshold for that. So just, I suppose, I, I thought both sides were quite good to they're the ones saying it should go. Because uh, you, you were kind of talking about uh, the threshold for diagnosis. I think that would be a point more aimed at us. Uh, I think. No, no. But, okay, fair enough. I mean, that's interesting. That's fine. But I thank you for your information. I take your point. Um, what? <laughs> um, but, I, this is not a response to the point, just something that. Um, hearing 
and speak put me in mind of if, if, if the literific has uh, an LGBT plus debate again and members of the LGBT sub want to come along, please do speak because you know so much more than a lot of us do. So, thank you. <laughs> uh, proposition, what's your thought? Yeah, just yeah, similar. Just, just, thank you. Um, yeah, I think the very good points made. I, yeah, this was not, um, this was not researched as well by me as it could have been, definitely. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it would be a really interesting discussion if there are any points. There is time afterwards for. No, there's not. I am completely. I mean, forgotten. we could do it at pub. Yeah, <laughs> sure, absolutely. But yeah. Just, and then the LGBT society are here afterwards, I think, yeah, I think it would be a bit remiss of all of us if we didn't uh, benefit from the knowledge that's here with us this evening. Here, here, here. Um, would you like to respond to <laughs> Well, I was kind of a last minute and I was just trying to scrabble together <laughs> <laughs> anything I could and I forgot, I totally forgot about the clinical stuff. Absolutely, totally forgot. Don't, don't apologize. <laughs> summary, it's okay. Uh, fair enough. Um, proposition, any more points in the proposition? We'll take one last round of questions to each side, and then I think we'll, we'll, start, we'll allow the teams to make their summary speeches. Any points in the proposition? Or do I, have we covered pretty much everything? Uh, opposition, then? Uh, yourself? Hi, I'm um, Just a point. Um, you talked about homosexuality as one of your points, just that it's no longer considered to be a mental disorder and just that they would feel discomfort in themselves as well. So it's a similar sort of distress for the two, for the two um, communities, sort of, that they feel you know, uncomfortable maybe and they're scared perhaps of what people are going to say and that's maybe, or like that's what really causes a distress or discomfort and if it's not Homosexuality isn't classified as a mental disorder. Why should transgender or gender dysphoria be classified as a mental disorder? Where, like, if you took it away, they could still go to, you know, for anxiety or go to speak to people just about general distress. That there's no need for the actual label to be there. If you have something. <laughs> okay. Well. Um uh, there are certainly a lot of overlaps, uh, as with anything that's not neurotypical or not the norm. There certainly are a lot of overlaps in terms of identity and stuff like that there, but there is a significant difference between someone who is homosexual and someone who is transsexual. Um, in the fact of the matter is, I'm sure you don't choose who you're attracted to, but sex is a choice. Living in your own body isn't a choice. You know what I mean? And that's a significant difference. And also, uh, they have different needs. Um, you know, gender-based surgery is never um, something that's, you know, or, well, to my experience at least, or what I know of, to my knowledge, uh, an option for homosexuality as it is with you know, transsexuals, and that is an entirely different sort of needs basis. You know what I mean? Right, anyone from the proposition? Yeah, I think that's fair to, one, acknowledge the crossover, but also acknowledge the differences that, uh, that they face. <coughs> Yeah. Absolutely. And at this point we'll move on to the summary speeches. If the proposition would like to summarise their case first of all. <coughs> you wouldn't mind, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, just that you're hearing from me again. Sorry. Um, but uh, I've been taking a few notes. So I think um, 
uh, and I can jump in if uh, I've kind of missed anything or have placed anything in. I think um, our argument was very much that that things cannot always be separate. The things uh, that transgenderism and the issues that come with that are so often so closely tied with social issues, be, even though they may come from a biological starting point. They have societal repercussions and it is uh, it, it can be seen as um, as idealistic to ignore those uh, those repercussions. Um, I think our main argument came from um, came from lived experience um, with the difficulties that that come up with these issues, and the argument was. Uh, no, sorry. Um, yes, but there are the, the, the differences are important to recognise and they are important to deal with as, as separate issues um, and that we can certainly deal with the repercussions in one way and we can deal with the, with the identity issues uh, in another way. They don't always have to be taken hand in hand because they do need, um, they do need, different, they do need different systems of care um, and thankfully the biological and neurological systems of care are there and I think we both fully appreciate that um, but it cannot be uh, entirely disassociated from the societal repercussions so I think it's important to consider both of those together. Um, that's it. Thank you very much and I hope I welcome the opposition to come up and summarise their case. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, thank you all very much for an enlightening, uh, more than anything, debate. Um, use my, because I'm not going to take up the two minutes again, should have mentioned earlier, we need more trans speakers too. We just need more, you know, non-majority speakers in general. Um, the opposition has set out our arguments, I think, quite clearly. We've set out the clinical definition of disorder. We've interpreted the premise of this slightly contentious motion to mean that element of one possible transgender life experience that can be, can be a disorder, a psychological disorder, and is currently classified as such. We have explained why it is better for people with gender dysphoria to have this framework, to have this safety net in place of that clinical definition. And we have asked you to consider the ramifications of your decision tonight, because ultimately, in the debating chamber on which the House votes, it's you that I really need to speak to, and it's you who will speak when you decide on this motion. What it says to the other community at stake in this motion, people with psychological disorders. And we've pointed out some of the inadvertent, but nonetheless powerful, prejudicial assumptions about psychological disorders inherent in some proposition arguments. We've set out why the current classification is a good thing, the services and support networks needed, and we've set out why it isn't a bad thing. Having a psychological disorder is no shame. The opposition rests. And with that, we now move to the formal vote. Uh, we're going to have two votes. The first vote is a vote on your prior opinion. Uh, so you, you, your vote will reflect 
uh, what your opinion was before you heard the speakers uh, make their cases tonight. Uh, so if you were in favor of the motion of declassifying uh, before you hear the speeches tonight, uh, if you could please raise your hand uh, for us to point. to the motion, um, if you could raise your hand, please. Well, yeah. And if you have no opinion on the motion at, the, at all, and sort of sitting on the fence before you came into the room, uh, please raise your hand and say meh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and now to the second vote, which you can put your hand down now. Now the second vote, which is based on the speaker ability. So, uh, sorry, just trying to work out the rules my head there for a second. Uh, um, so, if you thought the proposition spoke best tonight. Uh, take the proposition first of the opposition, and then if you thought they both spoke equally well, uh, you can raise your hand at that point. So, if you thought the proposition spoke best, then please raise your hand. I was going to take some kind of moral oh. high ground, but no, I am just that petty. <laughs> and if you thought the opposition spoke best, then? I still did as well. <laughs> <laughs> I making some really pretty huge faces if people would do it. I got I got thirty one. Okay. I got thirty. <laughs> right, and if you thought that both teams spoke equally well, if you want to So on the prior vote, uh, the eyes have it. Uh, on speaker ability, uh, meh was uh, definitely the. Uh, oh wait, no, what am I saying? <laughs> uh, the opposition. to congratulate all four speakers tonight because I, I realise that the house did not make the job easy for you in any way. <laughs> uh, so uh, you grappled with that many-headed hybrid very well and uh, congratulations to all this week. Yes, madam. Uh, hi, can I just make a quick announcement? If anyone is interested in the American election, on Monday, the Politics Society is holding a screen. Resign! Resign! Get down! That's all. 
The rule is technically that we don't allow other societies to have polemics of uh, you know, promoting themselves at their events other than uh, within this house in, in conjunction with this house. So, no. So, that is us for tonight. If you'd like to join us in the house bar on Stranmolis Road, where we can continue the debates, by all means. Uh, the LGBT, LGBT Society are also here if you'd like to talk to them about uh, tonight's debate, by all means. Uh, thank you very much to all of you for attending. What do you think about that? I don't know. Leave me alone. <laughs>